from New York City. A podcast from working actors, directors, and playwrights. This is the Cry Havoc Company. Welcome to the first episode of the Cry Havoc Podcast. A discussion between actors, writers, and directors who make up the Cry Havoc Company. I am Kit Lavoy, the artistic director of the Cry Havoc Company. I'm a playwright and a director. And around the table today, we have with us... Jenny Curlin. I'm an actor. Tim Davis. I'm an actor and a writer. Jen Reichard. I'm a playwright. Jennifer Kerfman. I'm an actor and a director. The topic today is what makes a well-written play, or a tightly written play, or however you want to define that. Uh, Every week we get together uh, for our workshop group and work on any number of different things, but one of the things that is a real focus of the group is working with playwrights on their new plays. So they bring in new drafts of things to get feedback from the group. And one of the central rules is actually of the discussion is actually something that that we got from uh, a playwright and uh, and playwriting leader, uh, uh, Mayor Ribolo. And the rules of all the groups that he runs is that when you're talking to a playwright about the play that they've written, you should talk to them about the play they are trying to write, not the play that you would have written if you were writing a play about that topic. And so there obviously are a lot of things that are subjective about whether you like a play, whether you enjoy a play, whether you'd want to be in a play, whether you'd want to watch a play. But what are those things that when we sit around and talk with a playwright about the play they are trying to write, what are the things that we are trying to guide them towards? What are the bedrock principles of what makes a well-told story in the form of a play uh, that we want to help all playwrights towards, regardless of the story that they're trying to write. Um, So the first topic, perhaps, to talk under that is the idea of structure. Uh, What do we think about structure um, and uh, how it plays into a well-written play and also what we do to try to help a playwright towards that? Well, I think uh, there are a lot of elements to structure, um, but the first one that comes to mind are um, events that are related causally, like one thing happens and that leads to another thing happening, and um, if the right um, importance is is attached to those events, then it it, it leads to you know uh, suspense and stuff like that. I, I look at stories as well written and tightly written stories as having three elements that make up an arc and uh, that first element is uh, the introduction of elements of your given circumstances of your characters uh, uh, basically uh, an introduction of the world in which uh, uh, the story will, will take place uh, the the second element is or the second piece of that arc is then a conflict uh, involving those elements um, and the third then being a, a resolution to that conflict that leads to some type of change of the uh, some level of the elements that we were originally introduced to, whether that is a change in character or a change in world or whatnot. So, Is it the resolution or the conflict that leads to change, do you think? Uh, I, <laughs> or does it depend on the play? By, by, I'm going to half-duck your question by, <laughs> by, by saying I think it's, it's, it's resolving the conflict. 
Um, mm-hmm. Although I, that may not be true either, because what I, you know, as as an actor, I normally approach uh, a play that I've I've been given to work on, uh, and finding initially in the given circumstances what it is about that character uh, that he would change in his world. So I'm not even sure if if, if changing uh, uh, if if resolving the the crisis is necessarily even where to to start that leads to change. I think sometimes it's, it's what your given circumstances are that may lead to to a change in character or event. Well, there's something that's interesting in that. I'm, I mean, in terms of that the traditional way that we experience stories is that way with a resolution at the end of what the conflict is. Um, but I think that that's something actually that playwrights can often play with is using the audience's expectation to help tell their story that can sometimes be very interesting when you expect that something will be resolved at the end to decidedly leave it unresolved. I mean, I know there are several plays that I have written that the end of the play is the fact that uh, that the con- that the conflict is unresolvable. That there are people who are really trying to figure something out and it turns out that they can't. Um, but so long, I think, as, as you've asked the question of how will this be resolved, if the answer is a resounding, it can't be, instead of Oh, I did not resolve it. Um, that can be a satisfying ending to a play, too. Yeah, and I actually think that's a real danger, honestly. If you don't, if you don't know that difference, I feel like a lot of playwrights leave it up to the audience or leave it vague on purpose because they don't know or they want people to go home and talk about it in a way that I don't think is helpful and doesn't make and call it ambiguous. Yeah, <laughs> but I, I think I, I think you you're absolutely correct. In 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 uh, choosing to, th- there's value in choosing to not resolve uh, a conflict. However, I think what through the course of a, of, of a story, what also winds up happening in in, in, in a well written play in which that's done, um, your circumstances have still changed from what they were at the beginning. The often in, in I think in the story type in which you're talking about, what the characters have changed is they they had a situation. And, and, and a conflict came up and they re- realized that whatever the conflict is is unresolvable and the new awareness of that is, is the new change. Is that, the that's change. that's yeah. the new world. I mean, there's a lot of ways in which Hamlet is that in a lot of ways. I mean, in the end, there really isn't an ultimate resolution. People don't come to terms. Mm-hmm. And it's not that the good good guy wins and the bad guy loses. It's, it's people fight it out for their point of view to the end and there is no way for them to resolve that big question. Mm-hmm. Um, something I think that I think is a really useful way to think of a play um, in terms of structure um, is a lot of times that people say that a play is the blueprint for a production. Um, you know, that is, that is the thing that sort of lays out the schematic by which then the actors and the directors and the designers are going to do their work. And I think that there's something very real to the idea of a play as an information delivery system that it really is a lot of the way in which the order in which you give information to the audience and the type of information that you give them. So, for instance, if there's a play where two of the plot points in the play is, one, that a uh, character has found out that his father is cheating on his mother, and then another plot point is that the father ends up getting married to this woman he's cheated with who no one else in the family knows he was cheating with. That those are two things. The order in which that information is revealed makes it into two very different plays. That 
on one hand, if you know that the child has the information that the father had had this infidelity, and then we have the scene where he's invited to their wedding, well, we're left with this question of how is he going to handle this? What's going to happen? We have information that makes that second piece of information important. Likewise, you could tell a story that had those that same kind of information where you see someone invited to his father's wedding and not be happy about it and have conflict with their siblings about it and we don't know why until it is revealed later mm. that he knew that the father had had an infidelity with this new woman that he's marrying. And it's just a matter of so much of what determines what the story of the play is is not simply, quote-unquote, what happens in it, but the order in which what is happening is delivered to the audience. Yes. And the characters. And the characters. Right, because some of the siblings didn't know, and, and some of them did. So, you know, if they all did or none of them did. So if, like, at the wedding they found out, that would be another play. Like, if nobody knew beforehand, but the information came out later to everybody. Yeah. It's, it's funny you, you call a, a, a play an information delivery system. I, I, I like that. I've always thought of uh, a play, uh, you know, a script, as, as a skeleton, literally. Like, it's funny we're talking about structure, because the skeleton is, you know, literally the structure of, of, of a body. And all those other elements you're talking about, your actors, your directors, your designers, uh, are allowed to put the muscle, the skin, the bones, the, 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 the flesh... Uh, not the bones, I guess, but the, the, <laughs> the muscle, the skin, the, the the hair, everything else. Pretty hair. Pretty hair uh, on that skeleton, and have it move however they wish it to move. But the the, the basic form, its basic structure, needs to be uh, is is, un, is un, unchangeable. And I think when when we're dealing with playwrights, the the thing that defines that skeleton, I think, is is what like the major dramatic question of any particular play is. Uh, I know when we're trying to help uh, a playwright work on their play um, in in workshop, uh, as as you said, Kit, to begin with, one of the most um, uh, important things is is identifying what that playwright is trying to write about and what their question is. Yeah, no matter what draft of a play they're in, or how how tightly written it may be, or or how much of a mess it may be on a first draft. What's always really in, in, important to me to find out from that playwright, if, if, if I'm going to help him or her, is finding out what are they after? What is the big question that you're wrestling with right now that's that's um, uh, leading you to write this? Because if you can identify that, then I think at least we know that that, that initial structure, that core skeleton that, that we're now going to try to move in, a, in an interesting direction. And sometimes with an, with an early play... Um, it's, it's one of the most helpful things you can tell a playwright is what you thought their dramatic question was based on the information that was in the play. Like, And it may be completely not what they were trying to write, but if your impression was, you know, that's useful information to tell a playwright, like, I thought it was about this, and they're like, nope, not that. And then you can go back and make your play about what you wanted it to be about instead of what people thought it was. And what do you think it is that <clears throat> that determines what you think a play is about um, in terms of the things that we can talk to a playwright about? I Oh, I thought that what this was about was the relationship between these two characters and whether or not they would uh, make up. I have an example. You have an example? <laughs> Jen. Um, uh, there's a play that I've been working on this year called Bake Sale. 
and um, one group of people who I read it with, uh, it's a play that is uh, more abstract than plays I usually write. It's a play that's actually a metaphor, um, wherein the characters are having a bake sale, but it really represents them, uh, the women of the uh, having the bake sale are selling themselves, like selling sex to customers um, for various things like love or, you know, attention or money or whatever. But and it's something that's actually based on a series of scientific articles about sort of the economy of, of, female, of sexuality. female sexuality. Yeah. yeah. So it's a, it was this exploration of female sexuality in the context, uh, in the context of a social exchange with, between men and women. That's the play that I was trying to write. And I took it to a group where they couldn't, uh, where I wasn't uh, supposed to, uh, I was supposed to listen to the comments first before I could answer so that I wasn't, it's, it's to prevent, I think, people from being defensive and also to let people not have their opinions colored by what you say your play is about. But um, originally the bake sale was set in an office so it was like a break at lunchtime and people would come to the bake sale off, off of their desk or whatever. And the people who, who heard this play did not get my metaphor at all and thought it was a, like an office comedy. And so they were talking about how I can make it more like an office comedy. And, I, and it was just so frustrating because it was not, I mean, because at the time I couldn't speak, but that's an example of like their question was like, how, like, how do these people get any work done? Or, you know, it was not the questions that I was trying to answer, which is how do men and women deal with each other on a really personal level? And women deal with each other in that context as well. And so as a playwright who had a specific idea in mind and heard that that was what people, that thing that you didn't want is what people walked away, what did you do about it in the next draft? The next draft, I took it out of the office. I made it a very generic location and made uh, things... Uh, much less specific, actually, to a, to a situation. It was, you know, a big a table somewhere. We didn't know where the people were coming from, how the women knew each other beforehand. So there was none of the office trappings that I had used to kind of disguise the metaphor. I just took those parts away for the next draft. And, you know, it, it took a little while to make sure they were all scrubbed out of there just because it was the original that was the original thought of the play, but I think it's much better without it. It makes it more direct and, and definitely makes the question much clearer. Yeah, I, th I think actually that strikes on, on an important thing, which is that I, I think does come up a lot when we're working with playwrights in workshop about begging a question and not begging a question that you don't intend to answer. Um, and I mean, I think that that thing about obviously setting it in an office and having the specifics of people had to leave because they had to go finish a report or get to a meeting made people ask an awful lot of questions that you as the playwright didn't want them to be interested in. And, you know, I, I think that that's a lot of what makes a tightly written play is, on one hand, making sure that the play seems to unspool naturally, but at the same time that every single thing that's in there is in there because it's helping you tell your story, mm -hmm. and it's helping you tell the story that you want to tell. Mm -hmm. um, that there really is a, I mean, obviously, um, writing is an art and is a craft, but I also think there's a certain level of science to the structure of a play. Um, you know, that, that if you want someone, if the big ending of the play is that these two characters break up, 
we need to be given reason before that happens to care whether or not they're together, um, or else that won't work. Likewise, and it goes back to what Tim was saying, the, the flip side of that equation is if you give us all sorts of reason to care about whether these people end up together or not, and then don't tell us at the end, or don't make a point of not telling us at the end, because that's the point of the story you're telling, you're going to leave the audience frustrated. Um, you know. Because as Tim was talking about the arc of it, the, the arc of the story is important, I think, to the characters and to that, that skeleton to, to sort of be the touchstone, the touchstone for, um, for all of the artists working on the play. But I think more than anything, it's the structure by which the audience can measure their own journey. And if you want somebody like Jenny said, you want, you want your audience to go home and talk about the play. You want to give them a reason to care about it. And even if you want to give them a reason to be angry about it, I think at the end, it, it, um, it's all, it's all because the, that world you've set up and that conflict that, that you are absolutely and totally invested as an outside observer. Well, it, it actually strikes on an interesting thing, and, and this is actually really a fairly sophisticated concept that, that could have its own episode sometime. But the, the difference in terms of the, the information delivery system, of the information you're delivering to the audience versus the information you're delivering to the actors and directors mm. that work on it, yeah. mm -hmm. that I think that there's a lot of ways in which there's sort of the macro level on which um, there is a series of events and the way that those events unfold colors what the audience, I mean, it, it determines in very many ways what the audience's experiences of what happens, but there's also a lot of different ways where in a very well-written play, in a very tightly written play, there are all sorts of hints that are spread throughout a play, that when an actor and a director really go digging through it, that they can find information late in the play that really colors what happens in, a, in an earlier scene. Um, because you realize that there was more going on in that earlier scene than you initially thought. And likewise, as an audience member, you get to get to the end of the story and the journey and look back and say, I should have known. Yes. Oh, that he was said definitely that. set up, yeah. Mm -hmm. Be able to recognize back in the script where that was clued in. For you. Yeah. We should um, uh, talk a little bit about, before we, we leave the topic of structure, the, the concept of dramatic question, which we actually mentioned a little earlier, but actually in a slightly different meaning of the term than I mean it, because I think what we were talking about before was more of a thematic idea of, uh, of, of what is the playwright trying to get at. Um, but I think one of the, one of the most important uh, tools of the playwright uh, is a dramatic question, which is where you cause an audience to wonder something actively, and then you answer it or you don't answer it. Um, you know, so the scene ends with someone saying, I don't know if I will ever speak to you again and storming out the door. Well, it makes us wonder, is that person ever going to speak to that person again? And ideally, there's a lot of plays that I've seen by early, early playwrights. People are early in their, in their process of being a playwright who that will happen and they will say, I, I don't know if I will ever speak to you again, door slam, lights come up, I've decided to speak to you again. And we have had that question for a grand total of four seconds. <laughs> but I, I think that, that ideally a play is all about causing an audience to really engage the play, make it a very active experience for them by making them wonder and making them have to look for clues throughout the next several, several 
um, uh, through the next several uh, uh, scenes before the question is finally answered to see if they can pick up on what's going on. It's the kind of thing that makes an audience lean forward in their seat and engage the play. And I, I am of the opinion that there may be exceptions to this, but very few, I think, where a well-written play and a, a, a good production will be something that's very engaging for the audience, that they will have to actively mm -hmm. connect to in order to fully experience, rather than something that can just sit back and let wash over them. And I think for it to be a question, uh, there, has, there has to be more than one possible outcome. Um, there could be you could you could ha the audience could have no idea what could happen like they can't imagine like what's going to come next that's one way that it's a question but also they it could be an either or situation like is it gonna is she gonna pick him or him or is she gonna you know go there or there you know or it can be multiples but as long as there is more than one thing that could happen and you actually care which of those things it is then I think that creates a dramatic question. And there should be probably more than one in a play. <laughs> yeah. And I think, I mean, it's something if you look at, for instance, uh, The Wizard of Oz. There are all sorts of questions that are asked throughout that. Is Dorothy going to get home? Is the Tin Man going to get a heart? Will the lion get his courage? Who is that man behind the curtain? Will the, uh, will the witch get Dorothy? I mean, there are, are all these so questions. <laughs> yeah, there are all these questions that are asked. And if you think about it and go back to that thing, so through, through that place, so, that movie, rather, which is also a play. Um, <laughs> but so much of, of the audience's experience of it really is watching what is happening, not in a vacuum. But in the context of the question of, is this going to help Dorothy get home? Oh, we know the scarecrow is frightened of fire. Will he ever get set on fire? There's some fire over there. It's actually the thing that provides uh, so much of the tension and so much of the investment on the part of the audience, which is that they are given reason to wonder things. Um, and uh, and, and make judgments about yeah. what... the the same things that the characters are presented with to make judgments about how that's going to affect the answer to the question. Exactly. And it's just an interesting thing to think about The Wizard of Oz as an example, which you think of as this fun, you know, show it's really that, that kids like. Dark. It's really <laughs> A, it's dark, but it really, there's, there's real thoughtful structure in there. The reason that it, that, it, uh, that it stands up as well as it does is because it really is based on, it gives you a lot of things to invest in, things to wonder, and then it answers all of them. Mm -hmm. And at the end, it actually does answer all of them. And then the very end of the movie goes back to answer a question that you'd forgotten you'd asked at the beginning, mm -hmm. um, which is which is kind of an, an extra bonus. Um, finally, before we move on from structure, something that's related to it, I think, is the idea of internal logic, which really is something that I actually dare say we talk about, not necessarily in that term, but as much as anything when we're talking about a play, which is when somebody brings something in and there are things in the play that don't seem to jive. There are things in the play that, you know, there's, uh, it's actually a play I'm writing right now and I know it's an issue and I haven't figured it out, but that there are things where they're talking about that one event needs to happen on Tuesday and then later on they're saying that they're going to meet each other on Friday. And it's a relatively minor point, I think, but... Uh, in terms of it doesn't totally change the story, but I do need to figure out at some point the mathematics of what days do these things actually, you know, take place on. Um, you know, but there also is, you know, importantly, if it is a big deal and important that only one person has access to a key to a certain room and someone gets into that room and it's not the person with the key, 
Well, that's fine. <laughs> but then you need to explain how somebody got in that room. Or you need to not ask the, ask the question earlier by setting up the fact that only one person can get in that room. Mm -hmm. uh, because that is a thing that will take an audience... Well, it's two things. Because again, it gets into the, the two layers of, of who the playwright's writing for. Mm -hmm. That for the audience, it makes them... You know what? You know it, it will take them out and say, "Wait a minute! I thought no one was allowed to get in that room. How does that happen?" You, but and if for you're the, if you're writing a murder mystery, that's an okay <laughs> choice. And it's fine so long as you answer it. And so long as that's the question you want to ask. Or the answer is that yeah. they're magic. Or that they're magic. <laughs> but the, the flip side of it is that is for the actors who are playing the role. And I know Jen, you and I worked on a play once that I I think it, uh, that was a outstandingly wonderful play except that it had a number of just basic logical flaws that the playwright's answer to it was, I don't think people will notice. I'm not sure that that was true, but I will tell you the rehearsal process for it was... It, I mean, it was kind of wonderful in its way, but it was... You had to do a lot of acrobatics, Jen, to figure out why you did the things that you Mental did. gymnastics, we yes. called it. And, and, I, and I don't know. Maybe the, maybe the people in the audience didn't notice, but, um, but I, I have a hunch that a lot of that stuff came up and, and was distracting because those questions weren't answered. I'll get to the whole maybe the audience won't notice <laughs> issue at some other point. Uh, <laughs> I, I, but, um, <laughs> wow. But the, the, the issue that brings up for me regarding internal logic and what the audience may or may not notice um, <laughs> is this idea that, you know, you need to justify your own existence as an artist, as a writer, as a play, as, as, as a director, as an actor. And your audience, in most cases, they're, they're kind. They've, they've, they've paid money to come to the theater, so they're, they're invested already, and, and they're willing to go on whatever ride you've set up for them. They're willing to suspend whatever disbelief is necessary in order to take the, the ride um, that the, the, the play is offering. And that's something that a writer can't betray by, by uh, uh, injecting elements, whether it's, it's uh, basic plot points of, of factual given circumstances of, of when a meeting is supposed to happen or uh, literally the, 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 the physical possibilities of, of, of how that particular universe works. Um, the, you, you need to take care of an audience with, with your internal logic because they will go on a ride with you. And, you know, if, if you, you know, the plays you'll go to, you'll see everything from Lion King where there's talking animals to, you know, to an Adam Rat play, which there's two people in, you know, who are very like you know, people that we've known in our lives, except more dangerous, um, are, you know, are in a room. People are willing to, to suspend disbelief and go on a great variety of rides, but in order for a play to work, you can't betray their suspension of disbelief um, in one of the most fundamental ways of, of ensuring that, that trust is, uh, is, is ensuring your internal logic uh, uh, is logical. <laughs> I mean, I know that's something that for, for myself as a playwright, one of the greatest compliments that, that you can get is when you read a, a partial play and someone says, I didn't know what that was about, but I trusted that I was going to find out later. Mm -hmm. And that actually is so much about that idea of, um, you know, of building up a trust with your, with your audience allows you to build much more complicated and more interesting rides because they'll go with you mm -hmm. on that ride. Well, and, and kind of to go back to that example you were talking about, you know, you say you you do give, the audience goes on that journey of, of suspension of dis disbelief with you, but you also then have a responsibility to your actors and directors and designers to the muscles and the, the 
hair and the skin of the of the project because all of the artists are theoretically coming together to deliver that exact to, to build that same trust with that audience and so even if the audience may or may not notice as as it were your artists will notice and you you know you can't you can't get there you can't get to that point of trust if you're not giving that um, sort of safe <laughs> safe place of logic for everybody to build off of everybody to work well, and, and the thing is you know I don't want to get too much in the subject of what people will notice or what artists will notice because I'll, I'll go off on a, a, a tangential rant but <laughs> the, the, there's you know, we were talking earlier about, you know, Kit was talking about getting an audience to lean in and be engaged in your story. You want them to be noticing everything. You want, you know, yeah. Yeah. again, yeah. to justify your existence, you want people to come to a play and to be completely emotionally invested. And just, just this notion of trying to slip stuff past them that yeah. doesn't quite work. <laughs> is, it's just, yeah, it's, 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 it's a betrayal of why I think people should, should come to a play in the first place. You know, we're, we're trying to get people to come to plays. I'm not sure if we should try to be slipping we're stuff We're not trying to do Yeah, <laughs> get stuff over them. We should we should be giving them the uh, uh, you know engaging plays that that do satisfy these elements we're talking about in a, in an exciting way. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about character. Um, what is it that character does to help a play, and what is it that's important uh, for a playwright to hold themselves responsible for in writing a character? Well, I think um, I think well-written characters are the way into the play for the audience that they can see themselves in in the in the situation that's being presented if they identify with any of the characters that are are taking part in it. A, a play I, I talk a lot about that I think is vastly underrated. Um, and I'll, I'll, I'll bring it up here because of its characters is is Hurley Burley, which on its surface uh, uh, seems to be about a, a, a bunch of guys taking drugs and and talking badly about women and and, and, cur- and cursing a lot. And uh, I, I, that's a lot of that's primarily the reason why why a lot of my colleagues are are somewhat dismissive as the play is anything other than a. Uh, a fun actor's exercise. I actually think it's it's a a, a fundamentally profound, um, important play uh, because its central character uh, struggles with this idea. It, not an idea. It's a very visceral experience of how do you live as a human being? How do you do you survive emotionally, physically, uh, uh, spiritually uh, in in um, in, in the world, and all of the characters in that play uh, are essentially, uh, they serve the purpose of being choices for him, um, and it's a beautifully structured play in which you have uh, people on either side that present uh, uh, through their actions, through their personalities, and through their relationship with the main character. Um, choices in how he should live his life. To me, that's a great example of how the characters in a play are actually presented as choices for the main character in what their struggle is. Yeah, and I think it's really interesting in terms of doing that well. Um, because actually, I, I think that actually is very true, and it's actually something I have really been thinking a lot in this particular thing that I'm writing right now, with that I think is, is very certainly true. Um, and I think the, imp- the the real difficulty when you think about characters that way, not difficulty, but a little challenge, is making sure that each character represents that the choices don't overlap. You know that there that there's the idea of um, if 
one character is about if they side with this character it's about choosing their family fulfillment and this other one it's about choosing their uh, job ambitions um, you know that that it's clean which one of those things that is for you when you start writing but I think it's a tricky thing because I don't think you ever want an audience to sit back and say and identify them that way that's who that person is that's they, the family guy and that's the job guy and yeah, that, that I think the audience in watching it, you want them to experience the story as a story. But I think it's really important to start from that place um, of, again, that idea of a character earning their way into a play. Why is this character in this play? And it's because they're an... I'm, I don't even want to say that they serve a purpose to explain, but they provide an opportunity for the playwright to explore something specific. Um... I, I was going to say that the characters um, are are the balance are on balance with the structure. That your characters need to want things. Um, they need to have goals and choices that they want to make and things that that really drive them um, to make them full people who are watching. And I think um, sometimes people write plays starting with the structure and then like make characters that serve that structure. But other times you can start with characters who want opposing things and then let them have at it and see what the questions are that come up. If, you, if you've set up interesting enough characters, then they can, you know, they, can, they can make their own questions. That's, well, that's what a second draft is for. I mean, right. third and fourth and fifth drafts. I mean, I think that there's a lot of things that you're right. There are different ways at which a playwright can come at something, whether they're writing to a theme or rather they're writing for specific characters or they're writing... That they can... Do, and ultimately, though, once they've written that out and seen what it, what it does, you have to go back and kind of incorporate all of it. Right, in the right. And, the, and the, the characters have to... Uh, follow a structure, but the, the, the characters can also provide the, um, the, the building blocks of the structure by, just by what they want. Um, Kate, you wrote a play very much following that rule, really. I mean, it makes three. Four characters you started out with? Yeah. Is that right? And started started out right. <laughs> One of them disappears early on. <laughs> yes. Um, but you started writing with their their absolute goals in mind and yeah. to just put them in a room to see what would happen if they all went after what it was that they wanted and Yeah. Is that negotiation over an object? <laughs> yeah. Well, in, in a lot of ways that yeah, it, it was about them negotiating o over what they wanted and it sort of was interesting uh, in terms of the themes that developed. And it was interesting in terms of that that was a case where when I went back and looked at it and saw what happened, and as it happened, I was writing towards a specific ending. And something different happened over the course of writing it. Um, a because the characters wanted it differently. Yeah, exactly. A different character than I thought was going to quote-unquote win ended it up winning. And when I looked back at it, I realized that it was had a lot to do with what I ended up writing about that I, I thought it was a play about what people wanted, and it turned out to be a play about what people were willing to give up for the thing that they wanted the most. And that character was willing to give up more than anyone else. And, you know, and, and, and as a result, the, yeah, the ending sort of wrote itself. These things are all, I think, very intermingled. Um, you know, and I, I, I think that 
a really well thought out theme will demand very specific and thoughtful characters and individuated characters. And likewise, really individuated and specific characters who want very different things and go for it hard will in inevitably end up with some sort of thematic underpinning to what they do. Um, I mean, because it's all it's about the way the story gets told. Um, and I think something else about all of this that as much as, and again, I think it is, it is important ultimately either to start or end up knowing how each character earns their way into the play and, and, and what how they're helping you tell the story. It's also really important, I think, um, and this is some place where I might diverge from what a lot of people think, but I, I, I don't know, that it's really important to give every character some very real efficacy. That I think in a truly tightly written play, there's nobody in a black hat. There's nobody whose point of view isn't defensible, at least from their own point of view. Um, because I think a lot of, again, the kinds of things that a playwright is, tr is trying to explore, in order to really make a case for what they're talking about, they need to earn it. It needs to happen in a coherent universe um, where the character who wins, the point of view that wins, quote-unquote, wins after a hard fight. Wins because they've earned it and not wins because there's been a straw man set up to show how oppressed... Character yeah, because one they is. deserve it. Yeah, because they've earned it, which is yeah, and and it's something actually that I think is a very central tenet of our particular company, and is in the uh, in our mission statement the idea that we approach all plays as the struggle between people who are desperately trying to do what they believe is right, and that you know that's a lot of something I think we'll talk about in later podcasts about what that means for actors, especially in terms of finding a point of view finding a way that you can believe in the things that your that your character is doing not just not just understand them but really believe in them but you have to provide that as a playwright as a playwright at the very least it helps when you're sitting there writing a character to be sure that when you're writing dialogue for that character you're writing dialogue where that character's trying to win and not dialogue where the playwright's trying to show that that character is stupid right which actually, I think, potentially leads us into sort of our last general topic, uh, which is strange, I think, when you talk to a lot of people, uh, people who go to plays rather than necessarily people who, who, who write them or work on them, what is the most important thing about the play? At play, the answer is going to be the dialogue. Um, so, um, because I think a lot of people think a play is dialogue. It's people talking to each other. It's people <laughs> talking to each other. Um, and I think that that we probably all agree that essentially a play is, is much more importantly about structure and, and about character, but dialogue obviously is also important. Uh, what is important about, about dialogue? And uh, I think it's important uh, when you're writing dialogue to, to understand what's behind what the person is saying, that they're not just talking, they're not, always, they're not mostly talking to say exactly what they're thinking, they're talking to achieve something. And if that means um, couching something or lying or, you know, directing a conversation in a certain way so that you can talk about the thing that you want to talk about instead of just coming out with something, um, I, think, I think there are lots of ways that you can um, write text for, for the actor's subtext. Yeah. Um. People speak because they are in need of something. 
Um, and so I, I think when you look at dialogue, you need to look at it coming from in service of what that particular character's need yes. is. You know, in life, in those moments where you are absolutely content, rare as though it may be, there's really <laughs> not much to say. You can just sort of sit there and enjoy whatever moment you're having, um, whether you're with other people or not. So uh, people speak out of need for things. Um, uh, and, or choose and, not to speak. Out or of choose not to speak, which is a language of its own when you are actively not speaking with someone, which is a, a very... Uh, a very unique and, and lethal form of dialogue. Um, <laughs> but I, I think, uh, uh, I may be repeating myself here, but, but for me, dialogue then is always uh, looking at in what is this line or this text in service of what is a character attempting to achieve and it should, in a tightly written play, almost always address some aspect of of your character attempting to negotiate that? How do they achieve whatever their need is? And I think a lot of actually what defines a character is the w- the tactics they use. Yes. Mm-hmm. In how, what do they say in order to try to get what they want? Do they tell the truth? Do they flatter the other person? Do they lie to the other person? Do they just lay it out there? Um, and and something else is, is sort of related is I, I think in terms of dia- dialogue that it's important that the characters speak with a specific voice, um, and I think unique that unique to themselves, unique to themselves, and I think that's something that I think a lot of times players can get very self-conscious about and make them cute, um, you know, or, or whatever it is by giving them gimmicks. But I think that there, um, a lot of it really comes down to that that idea of, of what you were saying, Tim, which is that there are specific people with a specific history and specific relationships, and what do they say in that specific situation to get what they want? I, I know, again, that the play that I'm currently writing, that I keep mentioning because I'm writing it, so I've got it in mind, but it's a very political story. And there's one of the characters in, who's a political operative who talks very often in war metaphors. That things are sieges and 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 it's it's like the War of the Roses and and all of this stuff, which is a very specific thing to him. But to be very candid, I didn't realize it until I got to the end of Act One that that's what he was doing. And the reason is that what he was trying to express to the people he was talking to is this is not a game, this is not a job, this is something much bigger and much more important than any of you are giving it credit for. And the way it manifested itself was in war metaphors. And it's an interesting thing because I bet if if ever this play becomes a big and important play and people teach it in English classes, they will talk about the playwright's choice to put war metaphors in the mouth of this character where that was not actually where it came from at all. And along those lines, actually in that same play that you're writing, um, there's two characters, the husband and the wife, and I've recently discovered, I mean, we've read different drafts of this, but that the husband and the wife don't talk to each other when other people are in the room, which I don't think you did on purpose, or maybe you did, or maybe you figured it out later and are kind of continuing with that, but I feel like that's such an interesting thing to say both about the character and the play that you're trying to write, and that's based on something that I picked up on the dialogue, or a lack thereof. And, and it's, it's an interesting thing, actually, where that specific thing is, is concerned, that a lot of what it comes from is, again, comes good dialogue, I think, comes out of character, which is so often you... I mean, I realize the question is that Amity, the, the wife, mm-hmm. thinks something about that. Well, she should say something. But then I think, well, all right, but given what the situation is, given who else is in the room, given what they know it... 
Yeah, what would she say here yeah. that would get her what she wants? Nothing. She's much better off waiting till they're all out of the room and she's got his ear privately. And once she's got his ear privately, she can say the things that she knows the war metaphor guy isn't <laughs> going to out-argue her about. And the, the other thing that dialogue does, even though um, each character has to have a unique voice and you know they're trying, they have tactics that they're trying to achieve using what they say, which is mostly what they have. They have some actions as well and times when they're not talking, but uh, the dialogue is the way that the audience and the artists working on a project get all of their information about about the characters. I mean, other than like the set and the, you know, the original situation but, and how they behave to each other, but like all the revelations of the play usually happen through dialogue, and so you you should be careful about how you use your dialogue to reveal information. Because I, I actually feel like there's a big danger in that, where a lot of playwrights, and I feel like early playwrights, will just have a character totally reveal a huge thing that happened in their life where nothing no provoked reason. that. The, the, the character that they were talking to didn't ask them a question that made them think of that. They were just like, you know what, this is where I'm going to tell you that I was raped. Yeah. <laughs> or, well, and I, I think that's why one would thing, you do that? Because I work with a lot of playwrights working on uh, on their plays, and one of the most common things that I find that I end up talking about is the idea of volunteered information. Um, and it, it gets exactly into that. I know for myself, I set myself as a pretty high bar, but one of the things I said for myself was that the character should never reveal any information unless they absolutely have to. And a lot of what the plays become about is the dance where people are forced to reveal things and how they're forced to reveal things and the ways in which they're backed into the corner and things like that. And, well, a lot and, the, of and the way that they're trying to get someone to ask them the question that will allow them to reveal what they've been trying to say. Exactly. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a dance. And I think a lot of times, again, when you see in, in, in early playwrights and plays that, that are not as high stakes as you would hope they would be, that actually what they do is they say, well, I know I need to reveal the information that they were raped or whatever the information is, so I will find an opportunity to put them in a room with someone who, with whom they have the lowest stakes possible. Someone who it wouldn't be a big deal to say it in front of this person and that's the way I will get the information out. Whereas really, put them in the room with the person, I, I will guarantee always that information is going to pack more punch if they say it in the room with the person who it is most complicated to say it in front of. And I will say, the dance under which the dialogue that has to happen before, the conversation that happens, the interaction that happens between those people that leads up to that, that leads up to that big revelation is going to be unbelievably compelling to watch. That's actually fascinating because you actually wrote a play about a woman who was raped and ends up, the, the whole play takes place in a hotel room and it, it ends up coming up that she was raped to the person who raped her. Who didn't realize? That who didn't that's realize what she that? Yeah, but I mean, I feel. I mean, what higher stakes is that to have to tell the person who raped you that he raped you, or and especially when you realize that he doesn't that he doesn't he did, know? Right? Yeah. Yeah. In terms of the stakes, I mean, it came out of the idea that, according to statistics, thirty percent, almost forty percent of women say they've been sexually assaulted on a date, and less than two percent of men say that they have ever sexually assaulted someone on a date. So either they're all dating the same people. There are cases, and I think that there's a lot of cases, where the two people walk out of it viewing it very differently. And a lot of what that play was about was these two people had this encounter years ago where one of them looks back on it as... The fondest memory. The fondest of, memory yeah. they have, and the other one looks back on it as 
uh, as really one of the most difficult memories they've ever had, and how, um, you know, and, and and how, what does that mean? And that's a lot about character and dialogue, and ultimately, though, that's about structure. That's about point the structural view. choice mm -hmm. and point of view of putting these people together and seeing what happens. Um, so I think that's uh, a, a good place to wrap up. Um, nice overview. A nice overview of, of what makes a tightly written play. So thank you, everybody. Thank you, Jenny, Tim, Jen, Jen. <laughs> we have and a Kit. lot. We have a lot of Jens around here, and we will be back uh, soon with uh, more podcasts talking about issues of playwriting and directing and acting, and with uh, different members of the company. Uh, so we look forward to seeing you back here. If you haven't subscribed, please go to iTunes and do so. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. You can learn more about the Cry Havoc Company at cryhavoccompany.org. Questions or comments can be sent to podcasts at cryhavoccompany.org. All music from this show came from the Podsafe Music Network at music.podshow.com. Thanks for listening and please subscribe.